Tonight we continue and we are on to enduring lessons. Last night, enduring lessons about God, the person of God, the character of God. Tonight we're going to focus on, as we summarize Exodus verse, uh, chapter 1 to chapter 18, the first part, the second part we'll do in the second part of the year, enduring lessons of God's people. And so we saw last night that if we were to give a framework or structure to the book of Exodus, it might have these four parts. And the four parts are, firstly, escape, Exodus, departure from Egypt. That occupies chapter 1, chapters 1 to 15. Then after they, by the grace of God, by the might of God, they are delivered from Pharaoh and Egypt from certain death. If they stayed there, they would die slowly of extinction, of, of uh, genocide. And so God set them free. And then they journey through the wilderness, the desert, to God's chosen place of meeting him, Mount Sinai. And that takes place from chapter the end of chapter 15 to chapter 18. And then the law, God's law, is given to them because up to this point, they are just uh, 12 tribes. They have not experienced what it meant for them to be a people. Let me ask you, when did Singapore become a nation? You, you better know this. 1965 is a pretty important date, August 8th. Pretty important date for us to know. Before then, what were we? We were ruled by the British. Before then, what were we? We were different uh, migrants people just arriving here. And um, yep, when did Israel become a nation? When God called her out of Egypt. And God gave her the law at Mount Sinai. And then for the next six chapters, five chapters, 19 to 24, the law and the implications of the law for every aspect of their life govern their relationship with God, govern their relationship with neighbor. And then from 25 to 40, all the instructions of what it meant for Israel to be in the very privileged position of what? The very privileged position of knowing God, of being the people of God, of worshipping Him. And so we're going to summarize the first two portions and the first two portions, Exodus reveals last night, in summary, our biggest conflict, our biggest conflict captured in the Bible, captured in the gospel, is we meet the true and the living God, the holy God, who is who demands and is determined and desires to be known, to be worshipped, to be glorified. But guess what? Ever since Satan whispered to us that God has hidden the best from us, we decided not to listen to God, but listen to his opponent. And from that point onwards, from Genesis chapter 3, we became determined, stubborn and proud not to know him, not to listen to him, his word, to live his way. And so here's the big clash. A God who is determined to be known and a people who are determined not to know him. So the whole theme of knowing is very huge in Exodus. We meet Moses, who firstly, when God encounters him in the theophany, doesn't who, know who this God is. And then he's supposed to bring this message to Israel, they don't know who this God is. And then he's supposed to bring this message to, to Pharaoh, and he doesn't care two hoods. He doesn't need to know who this God is. The God of slaves must be a loser God. The God of slaves must be a loser God. I am Pharaoh, I'm king of the whole world. Why do I need to know the God of losers who is a loser God? And so the theme of knowing is very huge. Carry on. Still from last night, 
So Israel had to learn, had to learn what? Israel had to learn how to know God. And basically the message is, Israel had to learn that she could trust God to be God. God knows how to be God. And we have to ask ourselves the question. The question is not, God, do you know how to be God of the universe? We have to ask ourselves, do I know what it means to believe in Him? Do I know what God demands and desires of me? So you can trust God to be God. So how well do we know God? Israel would know God as deliverer. Israel will know God as provider. Israel will know God as warrior. Israel will know God as shepherd. Israel will know God as peacemaker who will settle disputes in their heart. And he will give them the law to do this. Law to love God and love their neighbors. And so, how well do we know God? We ended by looking how the New Testament looked at Moses that Moses was the forerunner to Jesus and Jesus is the better and the final Moses. And it is knowing Jesus that we know how to face life and how to face death. And last night's two testimony of Joy and of Ellen, Ellen Cool in closing, showed us the importance, the seriousness of knowing Jesus or the seriousness of rejecting him in our lives. So that's where we pick up the stories. Thank you so much for your patience and understanding because we do not know who has tuned in tonight who was not with us last night. Okay, so our first introduction to God's people. In the book of Exodus, the first introduction to God's people is presented this way. You could read with me at home. That'll be wonderful. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So what is our first introduction to the people of God? It carries on. We now fast forward to chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 23, during those many days, the king of Egypt died. So there was a change of pharaohs. And the people of Israel groaned because of the slavery. They cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. I decided to bowl all those words that showed God and all the verbs about him. So our first introduction to God's people, here is a summary of it in reading those verses. We find them in Exodus chapter 1. They are multiplying and filling the earth. What kind of language is that? Multiplying and filling the earth is the language of creation. So they were actually fulfilling God's creational purpose. And God's creational purpose, though derailed but not destroyed by our sin in Genesis chapter 3, carried on when God made the promise to Abraham and said he will bless Abraham with land, he will bless Abraham with many descendants, as many as the sand on the seashore and the stars in the sky, and he will bless all nations through Abraham. So you'll find... Israel, 
the 12 tribes fulfilling this, God's creation of purpose, but at the same time simultaneously, they are suffering slavery, slavery to Pharaoh and possible extinction from Pharaoh's decree of killing off the firstborn male. So they're crying out to God because of this slavery. So from fulfilling to suffering to crying, guess what? They meet a God who, in the Bible passage that we just read, who hears the cries of his people, who remembers the covenant he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and sees and knows. So on one of my prayer walks, I was walking across, uh, I walk across all the way from uh, from Vivo or to Sentosa and just kept going and, and I stood there one evening and I was praying on behalf of some people in, in church who are going through a hard time. And I look up to the sky as I prayed that beautiful evening, there was a breeze blowing. And I look up to the sky and say, God, do you hear the prayers of these people? You're so far away. Of course, I knew. I knew as a Christian, I knew as a pastor, I jolly well know as a pastor that God hears that the distance is no problem to him. This is the God who hears, who remembers and sees and big thing, a God who knows. And by knowing, the Hebrew word here is not knowing cognitively, mentally, nominally, but knowing in terms of personally and relationally and deeply and intimately. Knowing somebody in personal relationship is actually used of, of Adam knowing Eve, that kind of intensity and that kind of meaning. Right? So, against this backdrop, the story unfolds of God's people. God reveals his grand redemption plan. And his grand redemption plan, chapter 3, verse 7, can we read this together again to keep us engaged and going with God's wonderful story together? Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the he Hevites, and the Jebusites. So how does the story unfold? It unfolds from God hearing, God seeing, and God responding to them. So God's highest goal of redemption is chapter 3, verse 12. We mustn't miss this. He said, But I will be with you, Moses, and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you when you brought the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God on this mountain. We must get God's whole redemption plan absolutely right. We call this true redemption and the true gospel, the true good news about it. Why am I using the word true or full? Because there are half true redemptions and half true gospels that might mislead us. So what is God's offer of true redemption? There are four parts to it. If you look at Israel's line, there is her slavery to end. Who can end this century-old slavery? We're just asking, you know, who can end this one-year-old pandemic? It's just one year old. Hopefully through 
God's grace through medicine, we will discover the vaccinations for it and learn to live with the endemic of this as we have lived with how pandemics came and became endemic as part of human history, as part of the fall. So within three to four years, this might come to an end. A slavery that went on for 430 years, who can bring that slavery to an end? And guess what? To bring that slavery to an end, there was an unbeatable enemy called Pharaoh and the Egyptian Empire that was kept alive by the fierce Egyptian military. There was an unbeatable human enemy to defeat. But this was only from the human horizontal perspective. From God's perspective, there was a covenant to keep. A covenant he made to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph carried on. That's why they were kept alive in Egypt through the famine at the end of Genesis chapter 15. But above all, you mustn't ever forget the greatest goal of redemption is not God redeeming us from slavery, but God calling us to, be, to worship Him. So redeem from and redeem for, save from and save for are very important things. We must get this right. So God calls us to respond. And the, res and the response to this is what was seen in the personal experience of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But now this was to be their collective response. So God calls us to respond. And faith is what makes obedience possible. And the truest expression of faith is actually obedience. So when God called Abraham to go, he went. He packed his bags and left his country and left his clan and left his father and left all his human securities. So like Abraham, like Israel, may we say, it's the same call of faith expressed in obedience. As we heard last night in Joy Choice Life, so it was in Ellen Cruz's life. And today, in the testimony given by Scott, did you realize that, did you, can you remember the details of it? That and his daughter came down, was stricken by stage four terminal cancer that usually struck people between the ages of 65 to 70. And this was an untreatable cancer. And through it all, she miraculously bore a third child and a fourth child. And it helped improve her health. And through it all, Scott and Beth continued to seek first God and His kingdom and His righteousness. And through COVID-19, they didn't pack their bags and leave. They stayed with us. And I was just calculating the videos, right? If it was 80 to 90 videos, an average of 30 hours. 30 hours is when Scott worked on it and he's very fast. When other people work on it, it can take 40 hours. So 80, 90 videos at 30 hours each. You know how many man hours is that? 2,700 man hours. If you take the upper end of nine, uh, 90 videos times 40 hours or 30 hours, it's 3,200 man hours. That's about three to 400 work days, eight hour work days for us. There's a whole lot of videos, a whole lot of work put in. It is faith that calls forth obedience, that we are to trust in God, that we're to seek Him first. And we have been so encouraged by the example.
And it so happens that there are only 12 centres in the world that there's anything to try to respond and slow down this cancer. And it so happened to be Pennsylvania, and it so happened to be Coleman, the husband's, Anne's husband's, uh, parents' place of residence. That's how God weaves everything together. Faith makes obedience possible. If not, if you had a child who was dying of untreatable cancer, I think your life and my life would have been turned upside down. We may have packed our bags. We may have said that God, God shortchanged us. We gave our life to Him. He gave us this. He might even take our son or our daughter. That is God. Faith in Him makes obedience possible. And the truest expression of faith is actually obedience. So it was with Abraham. So it was with Moses. So it was with Israel. So it was with joy, with Ellen, and with Scott. But I want to highlight, woven into God's story of redemption is not a beautiful fairy tale because Israel embarked on a half-true redemption. She focused on what? She focused on, the next slide, an end to her slavery. She focused on a defeat of her enemy. And she thought it was about them. It was about their freedom and their fullness. From this point onwards, we are free. Free to be, to rule ourselves. And then they forgot what they were freed for. Remember when I showed you the four parts, the full gospel? They are free to go and worship God on that mountain. Very, very important we don't get this wrong. So Israel will keep making this mistake. What mistake does she make? She will keep making this whole gospel to be about themselves. To use technical language, she'll turn it to be me-centered, big word, uh, anthropocentric, anthropos is human, the word for man. Turn it to be about us. So she was just dying to be free, but don't know how to handle her freedom. As I read that statement, right? Dying to be free, but don't know how to handle the freedom. Hey, that could be a summary of your young child's life. That surely can be a summary of your teenager's life, right? They are 13, 14 years old, thinking they are 26 and 24 years old, right? They think they know how to handle their freedom. We're dying to live, but we don't know how to live. And so in Israel's life, they were so afraid of life and all the dangers to life, and yet they were so afraid to, to die. And what happened? When they surely, slowly but surely, ejected the worship of God, once you eject God from your life, in will flood in the worries of life. You throw out the life giver, will rush in the anxieties of life that will cripple you. Is that what's happening to you? You're dying to be free. Dying to be independent from your parents. Dying to have your own life. Dying to have your own home. Dying to have your own flat. But you don't know how to handle your freedom. You can't even handle five minutes of freedom on your phone. A day without people to watch over you. How can you and me die? be dying to be free? It's a very honest thing that we have to search our hearts with. And so for Israel in her national life, 
just ex- eject God and enter the worries of life made them grumblers. Jesus will come along and speak about this. We worry about what to eat and drink and wear. And boy, did Israel worry about what she ate and drank and she wore as she, as she walked through the wilderness en route to the promised land. Admittedly, we have to agree. Admittedly, it was harsh. On my first trip to Israel, they brought me to possibly where was the starting point and we were at Jordan, modern-day Jordan said, this is possibly where, the tour guide pointed it, this possibly where they entered the promised land. And we just stood there and beheld the splendor from the high point, just looking out to the vast desert, just right across as far as the eye can see. And I stood there and I repented. Repented of what? Boy, if I was led by Moses or anyone into this place, I would have grumbled from point step number one. It was a waterless wasteland. Sure die one. You put the Singaporean there. They look at it. Sure die one. Sure die. Sure cannot one. So they became not isolated, but serial grumblers. And in Exodus, we saw from chapter 14 onwards, they said to Moses, did you bring us out here to the desert to die? You should have left us in Egypt. We had, we had graves there, but here it's, we're just dying like flies. Chapter 15, verse 24, the people grumble against Moses. What are we here? To, what are we to drink here, Marah? Chapter 16, what would that we had died by the hand of the Lord? There is now no more food. And they're going to repeat this again and again in their lives. So what enduring lessons do we learn of God's people? Something has changed, a paradigm shift from the way they were described at the, be- at the beginning of Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2. What had happened by now? The main character of God's people, they were no longer fulfilling God's purposes. They were no longer sl- suffering slavery to Pharaoh. They were no longer crying out to God because of slavery. They were crying out against God by crying out against Moses and Aaron. So instead of fulfilling, suffering and crying out to God, they were now grumbling against God. And grumbling against a God, the God, who hears, who remembers His covenant, who sees the suffering of His people and knows, knows them personally, intimately, tenderly, lovingly, compassionately. How quickly the paradigm shift can take place, can take place in our hearts. From at one moment you were fulfilling, you were suffering in rightful slavery to, to sin and then God freed you, but now you're grumbling against God. This is what we must never do as we saw in the life and experience of Israel. What is it we must never do in our relationship with God? We must never identify, associate and link God with malevolence. Malevolence is God's evil intentions. God is out to harm us, to hurt us. He actually brought us out here. Did you hear that? In Israel's grumbling, you actually brought us out here to die here. You couldn't get a clearer statement of malevolence, a charge against God. God is not simply God in the dock, in, in a courtroom in the dock. 
but he's already been charged and has been sentenced as guilty. You brought us out here to harm us, to hurt us. You brought us out here to die. Nothing more serious than that. But guess what? As you read the account, as they are delivered and down the journey to Mount Sinai, God will do what? God will sovereignly pile up circumstance after circumstance after circumstance that will make him look malevolent. The circumstances, will they look at their bad circumstances, they conclude bad leaders, bad God. They look at their circumstances, conclude evil, evil God. And it is God who took them on their journey. It was God who led them into that wilderness, into that desert. So God has a knack of piling up circumstance upon circumstance in the life of his people that you and me are tempted to conclude that's malevolent. How did it turn out in their lives? Just to remind us, it turned out this way. Four fatal dangers in five incidents. So national Israel on the move, still a bunch of, of slaves, right? Don't know how to organize themselves, just moving, just moving. They find no water at Marah, no food at the desert of Sin. External enemies, no water again in Rephidim, sorry. External en enemies, the Amalekites in chapter 17. And then the internal bickering and quarreling against each other. So the repeated word here, the repeated issue is testing. Have we learned from last week's message and last week's Bible study, we have to be spiritually aware of what? We have to be acutely aware of false evidence appearing real about God. Yes, we got no water. Yes, we got no food. Yes, we got enemies. Yes, I've got this complaint or that complaint about my neighbors. They are really a pain to me, a threat to me. And so beware of false evidence appearing real against God. And against the servants, and the servants here were Moses and Aaron sent, and through them, the leaders, the elders, and everybody turned against Moses and Aaron. So what's the test here? God calls them to faith and obedience. Whether they will mature or remain immature in their faith is now going to be tested. In what way? So immaturity is when we choose to listen to thus says my circumstances. You will always be stunted in your walk with God. You will always be immature. You will always remain juvenile. right? You will always remain in infancy if you live by your circumstances. Maturity is listening to thus says the Lord over your circumstances above your circumstances, into your circumstances. And so, let me ask of you, would God consider you immature or mature? And some of us may have journeyed very long. I became a Christian in, in children's church. I became a Christian in Boys Begin. I became a, children's, became a Christian in Youth Fellowship. I became a Christian in, in Varsity. I was born a Christian, some of you may say. That's theologically wrong. Nobody's ever born a Christian. You're born in a Christian family. But that doesn't mean you're mature. You could, have, you could still be here um, from those backgrounds. You could be here as a 
DG leader, you could be here as a captain of a company, you could be here as a deacon, an elder, a pastor, you could be there as a missionary. As long as you are still listening to the louder voice of your circumstances, instead of the last word of thus says the Lord, in God's eyes, we will be immature. So, we have to learn to trust in God's future providence. Remember when they arrived at Marah, they complained no water, and God told Moses, just throw this log into the water, turn from bitter to sweet. And right around the corner, if they obey God, there are the 12 springs and the 70 palm trees. And in the next episode, there's no food, and God will tell them, I'll feed you with manna and quill and manna and quill. And you can go and you must do this according to my word. You will collect for five days and on the fifth day you collect more. On six days you collect, but you mustn't ever collect more. On the, all the other days it will go rotten. You learn to trust in God's future providence today. That's so important. It's just around the corner. If only you went a little bit further in your faith and your obedience, just went a little bit further. It's just around the corner. God would have provided for you. So it was then. So it is today. And I uh, asked for permission to share this uh, from one, one of our doctors here in the RPC. Right? And um, he was sharing this with the doctor's uh, fellowship group that we have here in RPC of his own journey. So let me just read some of the portions I have here. I printed out a PowerPoint that he shared. I asked for his permission. He said, I applied for special specialty training as a first-year medical officer and was really optimistic on my chances, right? So, you know, they finish and they become medical officers. But to his horror, to his dismay, I didn't succeed despite frequent prayer and petition and supplication. So he went on to spend four years as a non-training medical trainee medical officer. And that's a huge blow for those in the medical line as doctors, some of which weren't in my list. So he did non-training in a variety of postings and some were not on his list of MOPEX choices. So I had to ask him, M-O-P-E-X, what on earth is that? If there are doctors tuning in, is it MOPEX stands for a medical officer posting uh, exercise, something like that, okay? So, being on the old MO scheme, right, and not the current residency program, he felt his opportunities to become a trainee were increasingly dim, uncertain, and diminishing. But, by God's grace, he was given the opportunity to accredit some of his MOPEX training postings to, for to be accredited into his senior residency for specialist training. See that? And he says, Oh God, why those circuitous and uncertain four years? In hindsight, that circular, circuitous, uncertain four years, just being out there with no training route to specialty, right? specialization, the extra clinical experience was necessary to make me a better doctor, more well-rounded and more clinically sound. So in hindsight, 2020, you lean on the previous goodness of God. 
because he's prepared the future for you already. And that's learning to trust God's future providence today. We can't see that, but God has always done that. From the 12th spring to 70 palms, just journey a bit further. It's one year out there as an MO. It's two years out there. It's looking bleak. It's three years out there. It's four years out there. I don't think I'm going to be a specialist, but this is Ding Yen and his testimony for us. So it was then. So it is. God had already arranged this in, in the future, but you have to trust him and walk in faith and obedience. So maturity or immaturity, do you believe this? That the God of that this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is here vertically upwards. But he calls us to the same faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let us now walk down the hall of faith. The very well-known passage in Hebrews chapter 11. Can you come with me in your Bibles as you listen to this at home? Just to make sure that you're still engaged as we come to the end of our time together. Come with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. The famous hall of faith. Okay, let's read this together. Firstly, let's read Hebrews 11 verse 1 and 2. I'm going to read from the NIV. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commanded for. I'm going to walk very quickly to verse 32. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the, the, the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful. Women received back from the dead, the, back their dead, raised to life again. Others, verse 35, were tortured. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were chained, uh, they were stoned, they were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned better things for us, so that only together with us, would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, chapter 12, let us throw off everything that hinders us, the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run the race with perseverance. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I ask as we look at this PowerPoint slide again, we, want, we, we claim, we presume, we proclaim 
that we believe in the same God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now in Exodus, Moses. But we need to ask ourselves the question might be burdening our hearts. Do you have the same kind of faith as Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? Right down to the list. And some, because of that faith, did wondrous, victorious things. And some from that faith were defeated in life, walked over in life. As we walk down the hall of faith, we should actually do this. So here's the true gospel fulfilled in the second and the final Moses. And here's the true faith we are to have not in Moses, but in Jesus, God's final redeemer and revelation. We are fulfilling God's mission. We are suffering slavery still in our body to Satan and sin and to the world. Ephesians 2 tells you that. All of us live among them at one point. But now we have been safe, but we still struggle with this. We are crying out to God because of this slavery as we bring the glorious mission and live this out day by day. And we are always looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, to bring us to the final Mount Sinai to worship God. This is the true gospel and true faith. And so, can you remember the theme for ARPC this year? The theme for ARPC this year is back to basics, back to Jesus. Little wonder, as we, whatever we read in the Old Testament, it is a foreshadowing of its fulfillment and its perfection in Jesus. So now in Christ, in Christ alone, not through Moses and the law, we have a totally new identity more about that tomorrow, with a spirit that loves to keep God's law. And we should have new habits. And the new habits of faith, as it was then in the Israel of old, so it is now for us as spiritual Israel. We are to walk by new habits of faith. Every day you wake up, God calls me to faith. And the truest expression of faith is obedience. God calls us to faith, not to force evidence appearing real. So it should be new minds filled with God's word. Right? So we did back to basics, back to Jesus. We had seven Bible passages. Can you remember any of them? So um, this couple in our church, wonderful couple in Christ, have been ministering to um, a group of people in Cambodia and basically have gospeled them, evangelized them. And week by week, day by day, they have been discipling them and supporting them. And I'm um, just going to play you a video of uh, a child of one of the leaders of this group that's been discipled by this couple in ARPC, a beautiful couple in Christ, Alwyn and Jackie. And uh, please, as you watch this video, it's taken, it's recorded, it's out in the streets of Cambodia, it's noisy, uh, and English is not their first language. But uh, here's this child trying to memorize scripture in English. I hope we can play this.
Hey, members, regulars of ARPC, can you remember Romans, Romans 5? Can you remember Ephesians 2? Can you remember all the seven passages? I hope you're encouraged by that. A young child, right, taught by the people that we gospel here, they're taking Jesus seriously. They're taking new identity and new habits in Christ. That's so important. And that's why we've been encouraging you. Let's go back to that, the, the previous slide. Go back to the previous slide. And that's what we're talking about. The other one. Just go back one more. Yeah. And so new minds have to be filled with God's word. Is, now that your, is that your new habit that you wake up with? Is that your new habit as you walk through the day? I just read Psalm 70. And just spoke to me and, you know, a summer day keeps the doctor away. That has been my practice for the last 40 years, just loving the 150 Psalms, reading them, treasuring them, living by them. And I've started in my amateurish way to, to make videos for you. Please take your devotional life. Please take your prayer life. Please go out there and surround yourself with the beauty of creation that will connect you with the beauty of the creator and out there why don't you read god's word why don't you memorize god's word why don't you be connected with god that can that be your new normal for unless hearts are changed lives are changed we've got zero chance of trying to change the world we don't change the world with structures and organizations we don't change the world in any way we change the world with jesus ruling our lives back to basics back to jesus so this is it. And as we stand at this halfway point, our spiritual feast of the year, I just want to encourage you to keep going with this. Surround yourself with the beauty of the Lord Jesus. But as we listen to this, because it's not as simple as you memorize God's word, it's all going to turn out honky-dory. I think the whole world now has been stirred and inspired by this lady called Jane who went on America got talent. She told her story. She's got three kinds of cancer, right? She's barely 30 years old. Her husband told her she, he doesn't love her anymore. And she's got a 2% chance of survival. You heard me, right? She's got a 2% chance of survival. And so somebody sent me a blog, her blog. And I thought, oh, I should read part of this. Are you just, can you just bear with me for a few minutes as I read? And this has to do with, just let me read this first before we show you the next slide. I spent three months propped up against the wall on nights that I could not sleep. I laid in the tub like an insect. Have you ever done that? Curl up in the corner of your life like an insect? Staring at my reflection in the shower knob, I vomited until I was hollow. I rolled up, I rolled up under my rope on the towel. The bathroom floor became my place to hide, where I could scream and be ugly, where I could sob and spit and eventually doze off, happy to be asleep, even with my head on the toilet. I've had cancer three times now, and I've barely passed 30 years old. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story in my life. I fear that sometimes that when I die and meet with God, he will say, I disappointed him, I offended him, I failed him. Maybe he'll say, I just never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing for sure is this, he can never say he did not know me. A God who knows me sounds like Exodus. Let me carry on reading. 
I'm God's, I'm God's downstairs neighbor, banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at God's door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes uh, with curses, sometimes apologies, sometimes gifts, sometimes questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. At other times, I sulk outside until he opens the door to let me in. It's all, it's all flowery language, but you get the gist of it. That faith in God can be very tough. I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they didn't pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning, he sent them mercy bread from heaven. So when my friends sent me, they said, my, this is so fortuitous. This is so divine timing. I could use this. And he goes on, I quote, I look hard for the answers to the prayers that I didn't pray. I look for the mercy bread he promised to bake fresh for me each morning. The Israelites call it manna, which means, what is it? That same question I'm asking again and again. There's mercy here somewhere. Somewhere in my cancer, somewhere in my divorce, somewhere in my wretchedness. But what is it? What is it? What is it? Three times she says that. And then she says, I see mercy. I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees. I see mercy in my mother's crooked hands. I see mercy in the blanket my friend left for me. I see mercy in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy I asked for. It's not the mercy I expected. But it is mercy nonetheless. And I learn a new prayer. Thank you. It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but we will repeat until I do. Even on days, and this is where we can show the slides. Next one, we can read it. Next one. Next one. Even on days, when I'm not so sick, sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy. I can't really explain it. But God is in there, even now. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough. And it's true. If you can't see him, look lower. God is on the bathroom floor. It's her special, painful way of saying, keep looking, keep looking. And of course, you can't look lower than Jesus stooping on the cross for us then we will understand that's the right place to look for mercy. Some of us who have tuned into this are going through a tough time, a rough time. I have no simple answers. But as we read from Hebrews 11, sometimes faith stepped out in obedience allows us to take part in the victorious, miraculous, defeating things of God, defeating others. Sometimes as we step up in faith and obedience, we ourselves are trampled over. 
But whichever one we are, we keep looking to the same Lord Jesus, for at the cross, the wrath and the mercy of God meet. This is who we are as God's people. This is what we are called to. And I pray no matter how long COVID-19 is going to be with us, we won't be, we won't be overcome by fatigue to give up on this God. His grace makes faith possible and faith makes obedience to Jesus possible. 